holy. You know, the seeing God in that way is the essence of what the Christian life is. It is the source of strength in many cases, in many respects, for the Christian life. And to see Him high and lifted up, exalted, to see Him as the Holy One who rules and reigns forever, is really the beginning of understanding what it means to walk with Him. Understanding who He is. That's what Jesus is trying to help us to understand in the Sermon on the Mount. Because what He's describing here, the characteristics that He's given us, are characteristics of those who have seen and know the holiness of God. In a very real and a very significant way in their life. There are men and women who have come in contact with the living God. And the living God has touched their lives by His Holy Spirit and by His Word and with His truth in such a life-changing way that He describes here in these eight characteristics that, that really we're taking them one by one by one. But they can't be separated. They all go together to describe the man and the woman whose life has been radically changed by the holiness and the presence of Almighty God. In the fifth chapter of Matthew's Gospel, we read that second beatitude. Verse 4. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Now it's very easy to see that verse and say, well, that's good. Those who are unhappy, those who are mourning, those who are sad over various and sundry situations will ultimately be happy again. That, that after mourning comes joy. After, after sadness comes joy. But to just simply see that on that superficial level, that those who mourn will be comforted, to see it on that superficial level that, that well, that's just the natural cycle of things, is to misunderstand it. You see, we mourn over a lot of things, don't we? We mourn when we lose a loved one. When there's a death in our family, we mourn. And we know that eventually, through the, the process of grief and all of that, we will come to a point where that mourning is turned to a, a comforting. We'll know that there's a, a sense of joy that returns, even though you still miss that one. And so, so it's really easy to say, well, mourning is just crying over someone who's died. And that's a legitimate form of mourning. Some of us mourn when we lose something, something that we really like. Some have mourned greatly, and I don't say this lightly, I say this very seriously, have mourned greatly over the fall of the stock market and, and mutual funds and uh, retirement funds. And all. I mean, there's been, a, there's been a mourning, there's been a, to some degree, a, a weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's a type of mourning. 
Most of us believe, though, that however, through the cycle of things, that will recover to some degree, and, and we'll see some of that come back. When that does, then our mourning will cease, and we will be happy. It's just a normal thing. But to look at what Jesus is saying here in, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. To see that as mourning over a death on this earth, or mourning over a loss of money, or a loss of something, is to miss the essence of what Jesus is talking about here. Because what he's talking about here is a characteristic of life for the believer. It's a characteristic that takes place in every believer's life. Now, I realize that mourning is not something, M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G, not like in the morning, but mourning, grieving, weeping. It's really not something we talk about a lot now, not something we really like to think a lot about. As a matter of fact, it, it, back in the, the turn of the uh, 20th century, back when, uh, between 1800 and 1900 in that period of time, the church had gone so far in one direction that it was almost considered there to be spiritual if you just walked around looking sad all the time. And, you know, it, was just, it was just kind of this, okay, it's time to be spiritual, so don't look happy. It's time to be spiritual, so don't look sad. I mean, don't look, don't look pleased or joyous. Just look sad and, and miserable. And quite honestly, a lot of people came to associate Christianity with just miserableness in those days. And there was a pendulum swing. It always happens. That on toward the end of the 20th century, and starting about the 60s or 70s or somewhere in there, I, I'm, I'm not a historian of these things, but I can just kind of remember seeing it happen. The pendulum began to swing where it came to the point of, oh, no, 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 you never look sad. You never mourn. You're, you're always happy. You're always giddy about Christianity. You're always giddy about, oh, oh, I'm, I, I never let anything get to me because I'm a Christian and I'm happy. And a lot of people say, well, wow, if that's what a Christian is, I can't be one because I can't be happy all the time. I can't experience that. And both of those are extremes and both of those are error. Now, if you watch TV today, you won't hear a whole lot about mourning from coming from, from Christian programming. And I have to put Christian programming in quotation marks there. But you won't hear a lot about mourning from there. You hear a lot about rejoicing and getting and receiving and planting seeds so your seeds will come back a hundredfold and, and, and you'll be happier because you got more money. By, well, I mean, all sorts of things that have nothing to do with what Christianity is really all about. Then you have Jesus. He said, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. If you, if you take the word blessed here, as, as we talked about last week, one way some people interpret it is the word happy. There's a, there's a great paradox here that Jesus is pointing to. He said, basically he's saying, happy are those who are unhappy. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. What is he talking about in this morning? He's not talking about a death of a family or a friend. He's not talking about the loss of money or things. What in the world is he talking about? I believe he's talking about learning what it means to mourn over coming short of what God intends for our life. Mourning over, if you will, sin. Both sin in our own life and sin in the world around us and sin within our church and sin within other believers' lives. It's this idea of coming to a point of learning to mourn over our sin. Paul knew about that. The psalmist knew about that. 
Paul said in Romans 7.24, he said, Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? Talking about his own sin. That comes at the end of that seventh chapter where he says, I, I find myself doing the things I know I shouldn't do and not doing the things I know I should do. And uh, I'm just struggling with this thing. I'm, I'm always in a constant struggle. And it breaks my heart. It causes me to weep. It causes me to mourn that I'm not everything God called me to be. And then he cries out there at the end of that chapter, Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? And then he answers his own question. He says in verse 25, Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So on the one hand, I find myself with my mind, I'm serving the law of God. On the other hand, my flesh, the law of sin. It is a struggle in this life, but it's not a struggle that Paul became comfortable with. It's not a struggle that Paul became pleased with himself with. Or the psalmist. The psalm that I had Brother Todd read. As our scripture read this morning, Psalm 130, it, it, it gives the essence of, of, of David's struggle over sin. He says, Out of the depths I have cried to you, O Lord. Lord, you hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. I mean, those are all words of passion. Those are all words of, of mourning that he's calling out to. He said, If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, and iniquities is another word for sin, if you should mark my sin, O oh Lord, who could stand? I mean, in other words, Lord, if, if you keep a track record of all of us, if you keep a journal of all my sins, I won't be able to stand. I won't be able to bear it. But then he says in verse 4, he says, But there is, for, but there is forgiveness with you that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits for the Lord. And in his word I to place my hope. My hope's not in my abilities. My hope's not in my goodness. My hope's not in my doing anything. My hope is in His Word, His truth. So, so Jesus is saying here the same thing Paul said in Romans 7, the same thing David says in Psalm 130. He's saying there, there has to be this mourning over iniquity. There must be this mourning over our own sin. Let me ask you something. How do you feel, how do you feel when there is known sin in your life? Let me back up. Is there known sin in your life? Well, there is in mine. And I struggle just like Paul said he did not doing what I know is right and doing, doing the things I know I shouldn't be doing. I mean, there's that struggle constantly. That the Holy Spirit is constantly saying, Pill, what are you doing? Do I grieve over that? Do I mourn over that? Do you grieve over that? Do you mourn over that? Or do you just say, oh well, maybe tomorrow. No big deal. Yeah, I know God told you I shouldn't be doing this, but you know, everybody else is doing it. And besides, I know some deacons that are doing worse than I am. My Sunday school teacher isn't exactly everything they ought to be either. We start making those excuses. I mean, Jesus is saying here, 
a believer, one who's been touched by the holiness and the, the Word of God and the Spirit of God, who's really come into faith with Christ, they won't sit around saying, well, yeah, I know I got sin, but no big deal, because others have got bigger sins than me. That's not the issue. He says we should mourn, we will mourn, not just should, we will mourn over our sin. Why do we mourn over sin? Why is that so important? I think there's several things. I think we have to understand that we must mourn sin because sin is an act of hostility and enmity against God. Your sin is not just a little peccadillo that you just happen to do. Sin is hostility toward God. We are now at peace with God, according to Paul in Romans. Because in, in chapter 5, he says, the, the peace treaty has been signed. There's no, now no more enemy into me against him. We, are, we have made peace with God, and we've been given the peace of God, but yet we have not been made perfect yet. And every act of sin, every stretch of sin within our life becomes enmity and, and becomes hostility toward that relationship. You see, sin not only, not only makes us unlike God, but sin almost also makes us contrary to God. There's a contrarian relationship that is placed there, even by his believers. Even those who we know by the truth of the Scripture, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. But Christ, Jesus is saying, listen, but those who know that reality, that there's no condemnation in the ultimate sense with, with, with Christ, if we're in Christ with God, we are we are declared justified by God. Even though we know that when there is that sin within our life, there is that hostility that forms, and we struggle with that, and we ought to mourn over that. Sin is contrary to God's nature. God is holy. Sin is an impure thing within our life that separates us from a holy God. So we must mourn because it's an act of hostility. Secondly, we must mourn sin because... Sin is the highest expression of ingratitude. Sin is the highest expression of ingratitude. Did you know that? When you sin, you're basically saying, Lord, I'm not as thankful for the cross and the blood of Christ that was shed there as I ought to be. I, I, don't, I don't know that the blood is all that important to me right now. My pl pleasure is, my flesh is and, and I want to I want to exalt that sin is kicking against the gift of mercy that's been granted us sin is forgetting the blood of Christ shed to defeat that sin in our life so we ought to mourn because it's the highest expression of ingratitude it's the third thing about why we should mourn we should mourn sin because it keeps good and important things from us. Keeps good and important things from us. Not talking about a big bank account. Not talking about somehow all of our problems vanishing. But basically I'm talking about communion with God. Sin serves as a barrier. Present sin, unmourned over sin causes a barrier in our communion with God, in our fellowship, our walk, our daily experience of the presence of God. When sin is not mourned over and repented of and confessed in our own life, 
then we, we find ourselves really not understanding what walking with God, communion with God, fellowship with God is all about on a day-by-day basis. It hinders our communion with God and blocks good and important blessings from our life. Of knowing Him better. Of walking in His presence. Experiencing that presence on a day-by-day walk. Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. What are some of the things that accompany what we might call gospel mourning this morning? What we might call the gospel penetrating our heart, bringing us to weep over our sins. You know, we weep over a lot of things. We cry over a lot of things. But sadly, in our day, in the 21st century church, we rarely weep or cry or mourn over our sin. Things that accompany this gospel mourning. Well, gospel mourning must be for sin in particular. You know, we are the masters of generalities. You ever notice that? We are the masters of generalities. Of course we are a sinner. I can go up to one of you today and say, Are you a sinner? And your immediate programmed response will be what? Yes, I'm a sinner. And if I were to say to you now, tell me one. Oh, well, uh, you know, I, uh, I don't know. I, I, I got mad at somebody yesterday. Okay, that's a start. You got mad unrighteously, okay? Have you repented of that? Have you mourned over that? Have you wept over that? Well, no, it's no big deal. Everybody gets mad every now and then. Hmm. Well, give me another one. Well, you know, I'm not that bad. I gave you one. So that's about the way we look at it. Jesus, later on in this, in this sermon, is going to hit on some things that are going to be rather discomforting if we're honest with one another. It's going to hit on things like, like lust and envy and hatred and anger and all those kind of things and he's going to say well you know if you're angry at your brother unrighteously angry at your brother then it's murder oh I'd never murder him I'd like to sometimes but I'd never actually do it well Jesus said well if you'd like to you've already done it in your heart sin more gospel mourning over sin needs to be for sin in particular I love our prayers Lord, forgive us our sins. Amen. We've covered it. Sometimes we we pray like that from the pulpit. I'm not picking on anybody, so if you prayed this, I don't remember who's prayed what up here, but maybe I'm just as guilty as anybody. Well, Lord, forgive us our sins as, as Grace Baptist Church. We know we got them. We don't know what they are, but forgive us for them. Give us our sins for not being forgive us our sin of not being obedient to your commission as we ought. Forgive us our sin, O Lord, of, of casual Christianity. Forgive us our sin, Lord, of not taking your word seriously when it when it's to be penetrating my heart every day. It's got to be specific. The deceived man, the deceived woman is occupied. With generalities. It's the second thing that 
has to accompany it. Well, and, and before I go to the second thing, though, I think about, again, David in Psalm 51 when he, when he talked about his sin with Bathsheba and recognizing that it was more than just adultery. It was more than just murder. It was more than just a, a failure to, to be to his nation what he was supposed to be. And he cried out in verse 4, Against you and you only have I sinned, O Lord, and have done what is evil in your sight. So you're justified when you speak, and you're blameless when you judge. That's getting pretty specific on a pretty deep level. We see that our sin is rebellion. Secondly, gospel mourning is to be joined by a word that we don't... This is almost... I bet you you won't even find this in a dictionary today. It's to be joined by self-loathing. Self-loathing. You know... The one in sin admires himself. The penitent one loathes himself. You say, wait a minute, Bill. Uh, We talked last week about being poor in spirit, and you attacked this whole self-image thing. Don't do it again today. Well, just one more time, maybe. You know, our sin makes us feel empowered. Our sin makes us feel like we're better than us. Our sin makes us do all sorts of crazy things, but when we are really mourning our sins in a gospel sort of way, there's a self-loathing. Ezekiel said in Ezekiel 20.43, there you will remember your ways and all your deeds with which you have defiled yourselves, and you will loathe yourselves in your own sight for all the evil that you have done. Most of the time we make excuses in our day. Most of the time we say it's no big deal. Friend, this has to start in all of our lives. To see that, man, I hate myself when I disobey God. I hate what I am when I'm walking in sin. I hate when I am when I'm blaspheming the very cross of Christ because of my life. Oh God, deliver me from this body of death. Thirdly, gospel mourning must be purifying. I love what Thomas Watson, the Puritan, said. He said, we are to weep for sin so as to weep out sin. Our tears must drown our sins. I was, many of you were here last night for the, for the, the movie on, uh, uh, the movie of uh, Fireproof. And, and I was so happy, I was so glad that when we got through with the movie that they left the lights off for a while. Because I didn't want anybody to see my eyes. I mean, I was moved by, I was moved by the story, I was moved by incidents in the story. But you know what really moved me was that when, when the main character came to Christ, he was weeping over his rebellion and sin. I loved how his father said, when, when he said, my wife doesn't appreciate me, doesn't love me, doesn't care about me. Uh, I go after her, she's stubborn, she just resists me. And, and the father went over and just leaned against the cross. And basically said, well, how do you think he felt or feels? Sin is to be, uh, our, our, our mourning is to be purified. Tears of cleansing, tears of drowning our sins. 
Also, gospel mourning must be joined with a hatred of sin. There should be a hatred of sin. Paul kind of talked about that in 2 Corinthians 7.11. He said, For behold, what earnestness this very thing, this godly sorrow has produced in you, what vindication of yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what avenging of wrong in everything you demonstrate yourselves to be innocent in the matter because of your brokenness, your, your tears, your sorrow, godly sorrow comes from weeping over your sins. You know, I don't, I don't think there's anything clearer in Scripture than, than that God hates sin. Pretty clear. You know, we can talk all day about, oh, God loves everybody and God loves everything and all this, this, this mushy kind of love, love, love type stuff. But don't you understand, there's some things that God vehemently hates. And sin is it. He hates it in the lost person's life. He hates it in the believer's life. Because in the believer's life, it literally denies what he has done. It shows ingratitude, and it is just a, it's a horrible thing. And so we must rise up to this point of where we hate sin, especially sin in our own life. We hate it. Finally, I would say that gospel mourning must be constant. Again, in 1 Corinthians, Paul said, I affirm, brethren, by the boasting in which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, by the boasting in you which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die daily. It's not something you do at salvation. You never have to do again. It's a constant thing. It's a constant cleansing. It's a constant walking with Christ. It's a constant changing of your life. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Comforted how? By the presence of God's Spirit. By the, by the encouraging Word of God. By the comfort of the believers who who can identify and can come alongside and, and minister to. I mean, there's any numbers of ways. But Jesus makes that promise that when you're poor in spirit, you're standing before God. When you mourn, you are, you're standing before God in absolute horrors at your sin. We can go on and on probably for the rest of the afternoon, talking about that. But I want to move it to one other area, and this is a very brief one. Blessed are those who mourn for their own sin, mourn for their own rebellion, mourn for their own disobedience. But I think there's also a dimension of blessed are those who mourn for the sins of others within the body. That's why this church covenant relationship is so important that we talk about. That's why we say we covenant together. And you say, I agree to all of these things together with one another. And so when there's a violation of that, we ought to weep. When someone has broken covenant with our fellowship, we ought to weep for them. And we ought to reach out to them. We ought to minister to them. Because we could be there ourselves. And, and we don't want to be. We weep over, we weep over the sins of others. 
you know, that's really what church discipline's all about, folks. It's, it's not about a haughtiness that says, I'm more holy than you, and so you can't be a part. It's a weeping. And if you ever do church discipline without weeping, you, you failed miserably. But you weep for others, and you weep for them in their sin, and you weep for them to be back in, in right fellowship with the body, and, and you care about them. I, somebody, well, she's not here, Beverly sent me a, a video, a YouTube. Where do we ever do without YouTube? We learn all sorts of things because of YouTube. But she sent me a video that, they, that Katie and them had shown at their church last week or two weeks ago in, in Nashville. And they watched it, and, and it was a, a video of, of, oh, goodness, I can't remember the guy's name now. He's a comedian, atheist. Penn is his last name, I think. He's, and he's a big guy, rather robust, I'll say, overweight. To the side. Anyway, he, you, you, maybe you know who I'm talking about, but he, he, hates, he hates God. He hates religion. He hates Christianity. But he was in this interview, and he was talking about how everybody knows I'm a believer. He said, you know, after a show not uh, just a few weeks ago, somebody came up to me and gave me a Bible and told me about Christ. And he said, you know, I respect that person. I don't agree with him. I don't believe what he believes. But I respect that person because if you say that you really believe that, that there is a sin problem, if you say that you really believe that apart from Christ there is no salvation, Penn's question was this, how much do you have to hate somebody not to tell them about it? How much do you have to hate somebody to not tell them about it? See your neighbor's house on fire. How much do you have to hate that person to just say, let them sleep? Don't want to disturb them. See, that's what this is all about, folks. That's what this whole area of Christianity is all about. We weep for our own sins, but we weep for the sins of others. And if we weep for the sins of others, and we know that we have the antidote, we know we have the solution, we know we have the, the answer in Christ, then we must tell them. We must weep over that. Weep over the sins of our nation. Weep over the fact that we slaughter, have slaughtered since 1973, over 50 million innocent lives. Slaughtered it. It's the only word you can use. We ought to weep over that. That ought to break our heart. If Christ is Lord, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Because the Spirit of God fulfills that. When we weep over our own sin and weep over the sins of our friends and reach out and minister to them, we cannot let them stew in it. We cannot let them be satisfied in it without our call to them. Again, not haughty, broken, not happy, but mourning so that we can know the real comforting of the Spirit of God. Let's pray together.
Father, it's amazing how sometimes we can read something like, Blessed are they who mourn, for they shall be comforted, and think, well, that's good. And never let it sink any deeper. Father, I pray this morning that you would let it sink deep into all our lives. We would mourn over your over your call on our life that is being disrupted because of sin. That we would mourn over our lack of communion with you because of sin. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit will bring us as a church to mourn over those within our body, within our family that are in sin and, and lead us, Father, to go to them and minister to them and call them back to fellowship with you. If indeed they know you. Father, speak to us today as we look unto you and seek your presence and seek your grace. For it's in Jesus' name that I pray.